Thanks for tuning in for Gospel Solutions for Families. This show is all about offering practical, relevant tips for raising children in faith. I'm your host, Amy Iverson. We're talking today about a tough subject, but one that has touched nearly every one of us, anxiety and depression. And while you may have dealt with these struggles in your own life, how difficult it is when your child is depressed or overly anxious. In Elder Holland's remarkable conference talk on this subject a few years ago, he said, In striving for some peace and understanding in these difficult matters, it is crucial to remember that we are living and chose to live in a fallen world, where for divine purposes our pursuit of godliness will be tested and tried again and again. But even knowing that, it can be difficult to know how to help your children live with these issues. Joining me are two ladies with some helpful thoughts on this, Sister Carol F. McConkie, First Counselor in the Young Women General Presidency. She has seven children, 31 grandchildren, and served with her husband, who was the president of the California San Jose Mission, and she loves to garden and hike. Also joining us is Heather Nelson, a licensed clinical social worker who has counseled parents for more than 17 years on how to help children struggling with anxiety and depression. She loves being with her family, her three kids, and also her husband, who is also a therapist. Thank you so much for being here today. So I want to start by talking about these childhood issues of anxiety and depression. And I think they're very different than just being sad or just being nervous. So Heather, can you help parents try to understand how we recognize when it is kind of beyond just being nervous and just being sad? Uh, You're right. I think we all experience that at some time or another. Um, But the times that it would require counseling or some other type of intervention is when it's getting in the way of their activities, their school success, anything that they normally typically need to do to function, and they're not able to because of the depression or anxiety, then it's definitely a red flag. How do you know they're just not being lazy and not wanting to go to (laughs) soccer practice? (laughs) It's more of a consistent thing and kind of across the board. If it is just not wanting to go to soccer, maybe something's going on at soccer or maybe they're just too tired. Um, But if it's, you know, they don't want to go to school, they don't want to play with their friends, they don't want to do any of the normal kind of kids stuff, then something's going on. Great. And Sister McConkie, sometimes we can recognize some of those in ourselves and maybe help teach our kids how to recognize those issues. Oh, definitely. Um, We all, as you said at the introduction, have those moments when we feel depressed or over-anxious. And um, hopefully, because we're healthy enough, we're able to come up with skills, coping skills to help us deal with those things. There are times, however, when we struggle to come up with ways to overcome those things. Some of the challenges we deal with are really quite large. But when that happens, it's a lesson for us to help us understand our children better, as well as help us learn the skills to to overcome. I think of the example that uh, Heather just shared about this um, Uh, behaviors that interfere with typical activities. So for instance, I have a grandchild who was not uh, able to go to school every day without crying and resisting. And this happened day after day after day, just as a little child, only in kindergarten. Same thing coming home. The idea of leaving school and then coming home caused him just as much trauma. And, um, my daughter reached out to one of her 
uh, friends in whom she had great confidence and uh, was able to share what was going on. And her friend uh, had a, a, four, a fourth grade son who volunteered to be the one to go get her son and help him get to school every day. And he did it in such a way that it was natural and normal and um, just showed a lot of love and concern for this little boy. And it, it worked out really well and completely solved the problem. Wow. If they would all be that easy, that would be wonderful. But what a great opportunity for that older child, too, to show service and some understanding. But for those parents who, who maybe recognize these signs in their kids, um, and then they're wondering, okay, now what do I do? What, what are the first steps, Heather? Um, I think the first steps are really to help our kids have the words to talk about what's going on. So talking about feelings a lot, um, even when they're reading stories with their kids, like pointing out pictures and saying, how do you think they're feeling? Or what do you think is going on for them? Um, so that they can start to have those words to talk about what they're feeling themselves. I really think that's a first step. And then also just having that open communication, like the parent can even say, wow, I'm noticing you're feeling really sad. Can you tell me what's going on? Um, helping them connect their thoughts with their feelings as well. Is it good for us as parents to talk about our feelings too with our children? Oh, absolutely. I think we're modeling that um, that behavior every time we do that. Like, oh, wow, I'm feeling really sad. I think that's really honest and helps kids understand that it's okay to be honest about your feelings. And the reaction as a parent, Sister McConkie, is so important to when we find our children exhibiting these behaviors, the way we respond is super important. Oh, absolutely. If we overreact, it becomes even more traumatizing to our children. And it's important that we respond in a way that allows them the opportunity to uh, feel comfortable and feel good about themselves, to feel secure in their relationship with their mother or father, that they that they know that that is something that they can trust and rely on no matter what is going on in their lives. Um, if, if that overreaction it puts up a barrier, and we don't want to do that. If we're really going to help our children deal with these, these feelings that are so negative and destructive, um, our responses need to be um, calm and patient um, and not um, filled with anxiety ourselves or 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 cause us to get into a state of depression the minute we overreact the child will immediately th- I, and i'm not a therapist by any means but but they will think oh my goodness there's something really wrong with me or i've traumatized my mother or father i don't want to do that anymore or, or you know it just it, it causes real challenges another daughter was sharing with me uh, uh, her desire with her children to do exactly what Heather just described and every night, sit down with them as they go to bed at night and encourage them to talk about their day and not wait till a crisis moment, but to open those lines of communication so that they're constant. And, and also um, to then, as things come up, make course corrections. It's kind of an intervention rather than waiting for the huge crisis moment to have to deal with. And then when they see something that a child is really upset or troubled or anxious, that then they can have that same kind of communication. It's not brace you. You don't have to brace yourself for something you've never done before. Talk to your parent about your feelings. You've been doing it all along. Precisely. 
And there are times when a parent will need to probe a little bit in order to get the, the to the bottom of the problem. But but that's okay if that those lines of communication are open, if that trust has been established, um, if it's calm and comfortable, very peaceful. Um, a child is much more likely to articulate, and it blesses them to be able to articulate their feelings. So I think peaceful, we would all love to have peace in our homes. But let's face it, sometimes when these kids um, who are struggling with anxieties um, specifically or depression, they don't want to leave their room. They don't. They just want to stay in the basement and play video games. How do we patiently and peacefully, <laughs> because I could see myself overreacting in that point and getting frustrated, how do we as parents not let them do that because you said we can't just let them hibernate. Right. I, I think you have to encourage them still and invite them. I, I think one thing that we really need to do is to help them understand that they have to uninvite depression. And by doing that, you have to do the opposite of what it's telling you to do. So by encouraging them to go out and play, maybe even saying, come on, let's go out together, you know, helping them to move past that. Yeah, be part of it, not just telling them what to do. And Sister McConkie, you pointed out that it's it's important for us to to realize that we can turn to our Savior in these times because He He knows what that feels like. He does. Uh, I love the description that Isaiah gives of the Savior that He um, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and and we do know that that description is accurate because He did take upon Himself all of these things as part of his infinite atonement. Um, It's so important that our children know that they have a heavenly father, that they understand their divine identity, that they have a savior, and that these people, that that they understand the reality of these heavenly beings, these heavenly relationships, that it is part of who they are, and that they are firmly grounded in those faiths, in those beliefs. That's such an empowering thing. They understand, that's who I am. I am a son or daughter of God. I have a Savior that um, death is not the end. We We can overcome all things, that we can witness miracles, that we can have blessings in our lives. That is the most important thing for these kids to realize, and and adults, all of us, right? Um, I think sometimes these issues get to a point where a parent doesn't know how to handle it. Heather, could you maybe talk to us about at what point do we seek someone like you or other professional help? How do we know when when our child or our spouse or ourselves is ready for that? Well, when you've been doing what Sister McConkie is talking about, being open and being having kind of an open door to them all the time, but they're continuing to have difficulties in their functioning, like they won't go to school or they won't go play with their friends or they just want to stay in their room, like you were talking about, that's probably time to seek some kind of help because it's gone past where it needs to for them to just have, you know, normal resiliency to be able to bounce back. And, and that speaks to maybe younger children, same criteria for teens. Um, I think adolescents as well. I mean, uh, Adolescents have a little bit different display of the depression symptoms. Um, If they've had a big change in friends, if they've been doing well in school and then all all of a sudden their grades drop, or they just won't leave their room, they leave the lights off, they don't want to be around people, 
it's getting in the way of their functioning. So it's definitely time to, to seek some kind of help. And how do we, how do we choose who to go see? I think that, you know, every kid's going to need someone different. Is, is it kind of like a trial and error thing? How do we pick a competent professional to help us out? Well, if you're talking about kids, you want somebody who treats kids. Um, that's like a kind of a specific niche, but, um, I really tell all of my clients that it's about the personality and feeling comfortable and feeling like they're in a safe place where they can talk about what they need to. Because if they don't, I mean, I've had adolescents come in who don't want to be there, but because it's a safe environment, they've been able to open up where if if it's not a good fit, they aren't and it's not going to help them. So you have to find a good fit for them. So it's kind of an individual process a little bit. But um There are lots of ways. Word of mouth is a huge way um, because there will be other parents that have had their children in therapy that have have found some success. And that's important. Also, you know, a lot of people have insurance, so it's important to see who's on on your list and find out from there. Um, But LDS Family Services is a great referral source, but it really does come down to feeling comfortable and feeling safe. So you may have to try out more than one. Right. I, I don't think... Everybody's a perfect fit for everybody. Sister McConkie, in addition to seeking professional help, and I want to talk to you about that too, but we also have to, of course, speak spiritual help. It can't be only one or the other. Sometimes we need both. That's exactly right. And I did, when I was presented with this topic, I did a little bit of research and I thought, how many times does the word anxiety or depressed appear in the scriptures? And so I did a little word search, and it made me realize, um, although I had recognized it before for different reasons, but I I recognized how frequently um, this is a a challenge for people who are great men of God, for prophets, apostles, um, for Joseph Smith as a boy. You you think of his challenge when he was um, only such a young boy, only 14 years old, And because of what was going on around him, the kind of environment he was in, the contentious environment that he was experiencing, and he describes it in the scriptures, that his mind uh, was called up to great uneasiness, that his mind was greatly excited because of this cry and the tumult were so great and incessant. And he calls it his anxiety. He says, for amidst all my anxieties, he had never attempted to pray and um, and these were extremely, as he, he uses the word anxiety to describe this extreme experience that he was going through and to help our young people recognize they're not alone. They're not the only ones who have ever experienced. Great people have gone before who have had these same experiences who have been able to overcome and not only that, be, rise up and become great people. And I love that teaching them that they're not alone because you had mentioned that, you know, oftentimes seeking a professional or or someone else to help in these situations, they can really ease some of those burdens for the child or help them learn how to ease them on their own. You talked about um, teaching children that there's some things you don't have to worry about as a child, but it's important to help have someone help you teach that to your child. Oh, that's so true. We had uh, one little grandson who would worry about everything um, and things that were not his responsibility. And that's important for a, for a parent to recognize that um, 
if a child is worried about something, for instance, let me give an example. My daughter is getting ready to get out the door with all her paraphernalia and her little four-year-old is saying, Mommy, don't forget the diaper bag. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and for her to pause and say, Honey, that is a mommy worry. You know, this, this isn't something you need to worry about. This is a mommy worry. And at the same time, about though, validate their worries and concerns. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. But <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, that's it's a good thing to remember, but this is something I can worry about and you don't need to worry as, about. Uh, another example with the same child uh, going on vacation at the, at the beach, uh, he was worried about a tsunami. He had heard about tsunamis, and, and so he's over-anxious, doesn't want to have fun, play, and participate because he's worried about a tsunami, and and then validating that is something that could be um, really traumatic and and really quite um, a bad experience. However, let's think about it. How likely is that to happen? You know, the sun's shining and the the day's beautiful and people are playing. There's no warnings. Um, but if something were to happen, what's what's the nearest escape route? And and let's look at it and, they, and examine that and put their minds at rest so that they can go about and enjoy the day. And um, those are great tips. They're really good, yeah. good things to know. And a therapist has the ability to uh, give a parent those skills so that they're able to deal with the situation as it arises. Right. Let's talk about that, Heather. As a parent, we aren't professionals, but there are things we as parents can do to kind of navigate our children through these issues. Tell us about some of them. Absolutely. I, I think just what she said, having empathy is huge and validating their, you know, there's a possibility versus probability, you know, just like she was talking about. And I think that can help them kind of calm their worries a little bit. But I also think that just helping kids to be able to confront any kind of fears that they have, that's what a parent, that's, they do that all the time. Right. And they're going to have to do it their whole lives. Right. right. So helping them learn how to face it, calm themselves. In fact, I think the parent becomes the coach for all of that. And, and you also talked about the importance of parents, this is a tough one, but to be consistent with our rules. And how do we balance that with the, the peace and patience that we talked about, making sure our children and are consistent with the rules we have for them? Well, I think that having rules is actually a form of love. Um, and in the world, when there's chaos, everything feels out of control for a little kid, and so even teenagers. And so having those rules and those expectations and knowing they can consistently rely on it, even if they push that limit, it's still going to be there. That helps them feel secure, helps them feel safe. And when we have those rules, do we then also have to follow through with consequences? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I think our tendency when our kids are suffering is to give in. You want to go easy right. on them. Yeah. You want to give them whatever they need. Um, but really what they need is consistency so that they can feel safe. Sister McConkie, uh, also there are other things parents can do to make home a place where they feel safe. What are some of those things we can do as parents? Absolutely. You know, the home needs to be a, a secure place, a, sa- a place of refuge. Every day our youth are going out uh, into the world, to school, to work, wherever they are. They're hearing language that is vile. They're hearing conversation that's um, inappropriate. And, and it, it dampens their spirit. And it can put them into uh, 
a state of depression because it's out of harmony with um, the ways they've been taught and the ways that, that they know that the Lord would have them live. And we all have a desire to be in harmony with ourselves. Um, and so it is important that when they return home, that they have the opportunity to walk in the door and say, I, I'm in a safe place. I'm frustrated. I'm, I can let my frustrations out. Mom or dad will understand. And I can share my, my anxieties. Mom and dad will understand. I think it's really important that they understand that, that in the home, there is absolute love. That that love is there for them no matter what. Um, that their parents appreciate them for who they are. Help them understand that they are enough that they don't have to compare with others, they don't have to compete with others, that by virtue of who they are, they are enough, and they are glorious, and they are beloved. That's a really important experience for every child to have. It is. I've noticed something I struggle with my children sometimes is I I try to show them that, but then if I ever have a consequence for something, they say, oh, you're just punishing me. You don't love me. And so how important is that for us to, it's a balance, I know, but we have to push the love even more, I guess, when, when there are consequences, Heather. Well, I think you give a consequence and then show love after. More love, right? Right, more love. (laughs) So if they have to go to their room when they're ready to come out, you're glad to see them. You know, you're happy that they are calm, whatever, whatever the consequence was about. If you have to take away their phone, you text them a million times when they get it back, right. telling them you love them. <laughs> I, I can just trust you. I can give you this back because you yeah. earned it, whatever. Yeah. And if I could just add to that, our children know when they're doing something wrong. It's not like that we're revealing some new thing to them that what they did was inappropriate. Right. Um, oftentimes it's beneficial to allow them in a spirit of love so what do you think would be a good consequence for your actions? You know, and, and helping them to really set their own boundaries, to get to set their own consequences. Yeah. And, and they oftentimes actually will set consequences that might be even tougher than what we would set for them ourselves. So. <laughs> Common theme. Now, also, let's talk about us as parents. And it can be stressful for us to um, try to help our children who may be struggling with these things or a spouse. And are there tools that we can use as parents for ourselves to help ourselves through um, these issues too, as we're trying to help our children? Yes, absolutely. I think first you have to notice your own response to it. Um, As moms in particular, I think one of our main go-tos when it comes to shame is I'm not a good mom. Right. And so we have to back off that a little bit and acknowledge that, you know, our kids have their own free agency. We're we're kind of, I used the word coach before because I love that because we all have emotions. We're going to feel things, but then what do you do with it after you feel that? And so I I think we ourselves have to know that our kids are going to learn from the experience. We don't have to own it ourselves and feel like, oh, I'm a bad parent because they're depressed or I'm a bad parent because they're anxious. Um, so back off of that and then be able to say, okay, so now what do we do with that? And to be able to do, to do that, we have to be resilient. We have to have 
kind of our bucket full. So we have to do things to take care of ourselves, to help ourselves feel rejuvenated, to feel like we have the energy to do to deal with whatever we face that day. So whatever that looks like, yeah. kind of helping yourself be more resilient, whether it's, you know, some people love to sit in a hot bubble bath. Some people love to go running. Whatever it is, we need to do... A, might help with the patience Mm -hmm. as well. (laughs) And Sister McConkie, we have to be careful. You mentioned not to have those feelings of we did something wrong as parents. We talked about not putting those feelings on our kids. We have to not put those feelings on ourselves as well. Right. We, We have to give ourselves... Let's put it in our vernacular. We have to cut ourselves some slack. Mm -hmm. Um, Our days are full and and anxious as well. Um, But the fundamental truths, the fundamental um, basic uh, behaviors that invite peace into the heart and into the home are prayer and spending some time in the words of the prophets, the scriptures, the words of the Lord. Um, spending some time reflecting upon those things, and then having some really fun times together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that can be doing a variety of things, everything from service to just outdoor recreation, healthy lifestyles. I mean, you think about it for a minute. Your child is more likely to act out or to uh, misbehave if they're hungry or tired. Or bored. Or bored. Mm-hmm. And so are we. Yeah. You know, that's the same. I'm, it takes real maturity to be able to resist the urge to lose our patience because we're tired and hungry. And, um, and, and, but yet we have that tendency as well. And so I think to, to try and promote healthy lifestyles in the home, along with doing these basic spiritual, spiritually healthy things, is equally important. That kind of balance... Um, it just creates a, um, through all the busyness of life, it creates a, a level of peace and of calm and of foundation that that is something everyone can kind of stand on, even, even, in, the mom- even in the challenging moments. Heather, as a professional, do you agree there are things we can do in our own homes to just kind of, I don't know if handle's the right word, but as we're dealing with these issues, things we can do in our own home to kind of minimize the effects. For our children or for Yes, ourselves? both, but yes, <laughs> let's talk about kids. Um, yeah, I think um, there are lots of things in our own home that we can do. Um, I love that you said doing fun things together. I think the more engaged we are with our children, the, the more we know what's going on in their lives. We know who their friends are. We know if there's any difficulties. So doing things together, being part of their lives. It can get hard when they don't want to do stuff, though. Right. It can get really hard. <laughs> so you find what's their, what, what their they niches, want to do. what they want to do. You follow them. And when they're really young, I, I encourage parents to have like special time with them every single day for just 10 minutes. And I know that's hard. With even just two kids, that's hard. But finding that special time, I haven't had any parents say, oh, that was too hard or too much, they have seen huge improvements in their relationship, how their kid behaves, everything. Can I, can I just add, because, you know, so often a teenager doesn't respond to some of these fun activities that we think are so fun. Miniature golf? No, No. they're having none of it. (laughs) But, but, uh, but there, when we see when our teenagers engage in a positive relationship in the home, 
express our gratitude and say, oh, you know, thanks for playing football with your little brother and teaching him how to throw or, or whatever it is. Um, and l- allowing them to know that not only do you recognize that they did something good, but that it felt good to them to do something good. It feels good to be good. And the more we can acknowledge and praise and honor them, give them that, allow them that moment. I I did something great. I blessed my family. I feel good about that. It will build. Positive reinforcement, Heather. I mean, does it work? (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, that's what was going through my mind when she was talking. You're so good at this. (laughs) Um, I, I think that there are there is definitely a place for consequences for sure we have to have those but the more positive and the more praise you can give um the more kids know what you expect and what you want and they want to please us and and even teenagers love to hear that they did a good job or that you're proud of their effort or you know just that they're trying Going back to that talk I mentioned by Elder Holland earlier, I wanted to read this part where he said, I bear witness of the day that when loved ones whom we knew to have disabilities and mortality will stand before us glorified and grand, breathtakingly perfect in body and mind, what a thrilling moment that will be. Heather, just as final thoughts, the eternal perspective, how important is that for us as parents to keep? Oh, it's huge. Um, we talked a little bit ago about, you know, that we're, our children are children of God and we are as well. And having that perspective helps us see them differently. gives us hope for the future. It helps us to have more patience, more love, more understanding. I think having an eternal perspective um, helps us to parent differently. And so if we can do that, also when we have our children or us have a bunch of negative thoughts going on, the thing that we battle it with is knowing that we are children of God and that we have hope for our future. This is just a a small minute. Sister McConkie, talk to us about that eternal perspective. That eternal perspective is fundamentally important, that they see themselves as I said before, first of all, as a son or daughter of God, that they know that they have a Savior, that they know that they have a purpose and mortality that's important, that they are needed, and that they have a glorious future that lies ahead in the eternities, that they understand this plan. This plan is uh, foundational to their understanding to help them deal with a lot of the challenges, a lot of the social messages that are coming at them, the, a lot of the messages of immorality and all the questions that they have, to have that basic sense of Heavenly Father's eternal plan and where they are in that plan. Um, we can teach those things and talk about those things in our homes as families. It will strengthen them and give them a sense of security that we really cannot of ourselves give to them because this is the kind of security and safety that comes from God. Sister Carol F. McConkie is the first counselor in the Young Women General Presidency. Heather Nelson is a licensed clinical social worker. Our thanks to them for joining us today to help us navigate parenting children with anxiety and depression. And thank you all for tuning in. Gospel Solutions for Families. Subscribe to the podcast on churchofjesuschrist.org forward slash inspiration or the Latter-day Saints channel on iTunes.